0: Would you turn with me to Galatians chapter 4, starting a new chapter here in our study through the book of Galatians, and uh, looking at the notes and studies here, uh, John Phillips has done a number of things, and so looking there, Uh, Galatians chapter 4, uh, verses 1, uh, and we'll read through uh, verse 9 tonight, and uh, looking at several of these truths that are contained herein. Our birthright is declared. Now, if you're a child of God, he's, uh, the Apostle Paul here is giving us who we are in Christ. It is a great thing to be of the seed of Abraham. If you're a child of God, we are of the seed of Abraham and the promises there. But it's even, rather than the seed of Abraham, it's a good thing, but it's a great thing to be a child of God. And the theme really is of Paul's closing arguments in this doctrinal section of the letter. His discussion revolves around three facts that are closely uh, connected to what had happened to his Galatian friends. And he speaks to them of their birthright as sons of God. And shows them the difference between being a minor or a young child and being mature and an adult. And he speaks to them also of their betrayal and of their bondage, verses 21 through 30. So Galatians chapter 4, actually it's verse 7. Let's read verse 1 and following of Galatians chapter 4. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God, through Christ. What wonderful, wonderful truths as you think about who I am as a child of God. The Galatians Really, the book of Galatians, if you have not been here in our studies, just a little bit of review for those who have not been here. But Galatians is dealing with, there was in the church of Galatia, those who were trying to make uh, the, bring the Galatians, who are obviously Gentiles, and bring them under Jewish customs and laws and say yes you have to accept jesus but you must also do this in order to guarantee you're saved and so they're bringing them back into religious bondage you need to and, and so this is really the discussion the Apostle Paul is having. Uh, he even had it with Peter, where Peter uh, would eat with the Gentiles, but then when the Jews were there, he would go and eat with the Jews and not eat with the Gentiles anymore and showing great bias. And uh, even though these are the very Jews that are trying to put people back under religious bondage and heavy rules, you must follow all these things in order to know that you're a Christian or, uh, and all of these uh, type of uh, philosophies of man. And the Apostle Paul is very uh, firmly, adamantly fighting against such false teaching. And so let's bring this before the Lord at this time, and and then we'll continue our study tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I yield tonight to Thee. Father, I thank You for the opportunity to study Your Word once again. Uh, Lord, I pray that the words that I speak, Lord, would be accurate, precise, they would be from You. Lord, I pray in our hearts... That these words would encourage, they'd comfort, they'd exhort us to go forward and to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you for being our precious Savior. God, there's nothing we had to do to earn it. Father, it is a complete gift of Jesus Christ. And Lord, a gift and a sacrifice that you paid on my behalf. Lord, it cost you everything, but Father, it is a free gift by faith to all who will receive it. And Lord, I pray that we would live in appreciation of the wonderful, wonderful privilege that we have to be a child of God. Lord, it does not matter where we came from, where our upbringing was. Lord, you receive us if we come to you in faith. And so, Father, I thank you for your great promises. I thank you for the great assurance that we can have and the the opportunity to enter the throne of God anytime we want. We don't need to go through any man. We can go straight to our Father. And so, Lord, I thank you for that privilege once again. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. There's a past, there's an acceptance of spiritual minority. Now here in verses 1 through 3, uh, to be counted as a son of God is the birthright of every believer. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are God's child. And uh, dealing with believers as minors, or believers who are young, Paul is looking past and has the Jewish believers particularly in mind. And he wants to draw the contrast between spiritual immaturity and of the past and the full maturity and freedom we have in Christ, and uh, there is, and you know, he's shown here as we spoke about in chapter three. Uh, About the the law well the law was all these rules and things that were needed According to Jewish laws which they believed you had to do all these things in and and if you followed them You would hope maybe possibly could have been a child of God That's what they're that's what they taught and uh, the law all the law did in, in just short recap is the law Just says hey you're guilty or you're innocent, right? Well, we are all guilty. So the law is a schoolmaster It just says you're guilty well, I know I'm guilty, and so do we all know we're guilty. And it's to bring me unto Christ, right? Uh, Prover, uh, Galatians 3.24, wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us into Christ, that we might be justified by faith, realizing that I could never do enough. And uh, so this is what Paul's already shown. And so now he compares it here in chapter 4 to a legal guardian. And, uh, you know, the idea here is when a child is young, uh, they were essentially, there are in, in, in the Roman economy or that type of uh, Roman culture, uh, the child was really kind of a ward of the state. They had really no, uh, not much inheritance. They had nothing going for them as uh, a young child, and uh, so let me read for you here a little bit of cultural understanding on this. Some scholars have seen here an appeal to that all pervasive Roman law under which, of course, the Galatians lived. Until he was 14, a child, an heir, was placed under the authority of a tutor nominated by his father in his will. At the age of 14, the boy came of age, but he was still not free to do what he liked, because the pater urbanus then placed him under the control of a curator until he was 25. Only then, at age 25, did you come into a full inheritance. This is the analogy. A minor, an heir to a nobleman, had great expectations, wealth, honor, position, and power, was still a minor, and for all practical purposes, no better than a slave. So, The thing is, is he's saying, hey, but is under tutors until the time appointed of the father. So this is the cultural understanding, is that a child of the Roman culture was not able to receive the full inheritance until age 25. And so, I mean, there was still a heavy law oppressing them and keeping from them what they had as a child of the father. But... Verse 3, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. A child that's not old enough. The law treated people as infants. You're still, uh, you don't get the inheritance of your father yet, right? Uh, As a child, uh, we tell our daughter when to go to bed, when to get up, what to eat. You know, even tonight, there were some things, I don't want to eat that. I said, well, that's good. You'll eat it for breakfast. You'll have it for snack. You're going to eat the food that's on the plate. It costs money, right? And uh, the food that's there. And uh, so the law treats as an infant, and uh, there's this legalism. But God sets before us several things. Legalism is sets, uh, lays down the law. Now it says maybe you must do this, you must not do this, you must not say this. It has all of these things. Uh, You know, you must believe this. The law is heavy. Now, if someone is out of jail on parole, there's a whole lot of rules on you. What you can and cannot do, where you can go, who you can talk to. I imagine, I imagine there's heavy rules if someone's out on parole. Well, you've now put yourself under the law, you've broken the law, and there are stipulations and restrictions to your movements because of a breach or breaking of the law. And the result really is bondage, right? But as a child grows up, Christ has freed us from these man-made rules and regulations. Now, we're not allowed to do as we please, but our desire is different. I'm not trying to be good to not break the law. I'm trying to be good because I want to please the Father. There's a difference. Right? And the elements here is elementary rules. Being governed by legalism is only suitable For a child I would hope as our daughter gets older and as young children as the young children grow up That these children don't need to be told they need to brush their teeth. They need to change their clothes They need to take a bath. They need to eat at this time I'm hoping that they mature past some of these elementary things and uh, to walk you know and so the verb here is to walk or march uh, in rank the heart and soul of legalism is everybody is given to orders. Now, and, and it gives great power. But Paul now turns, so he's dealing with these first three here. We're under tutors, we're under governors. Uh, you know, we have all of these things we can and cannot do. We don't get the inheritance until we're 25. Now, that is oppressive, that is binding. He does something here. Verse 4, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. And so the human race lived for 2,000 years under a curse uh, there from, we know, from Eve. She ate that, and then uh, we know the sin was of man. But nevertheless, the truth was, we were under a curse for 2,000 years. The next 2,000 years, with Israel up to the time of Christ. Uh, there was the Jewish law. Again, a very binding thing, but Christ has redeemed us from both of those. You realize from Adam to Noah, God allowed man to be controlled by his conscience. But it tells us that the imaginations of man was only evil. After the flood, there was an age of government in which Noah had was told there was government that was created after the uh, the Noah's flood. He said, Who have, "Whoever sheds man's blood by man's blood shall he be shed." You know that capital punishment. You do the crime, you pay the time, and uh, you know. And you had the Tower of Babel and other things where the human race was scattered, and uh, God broke in again with Abraham. The age of promise began. God's focal point of interest was the patriarchal family. The migration to Egypt. And eventually, there to the land that that God had promised, there in Canaan land. And um, when Moses came, it really marked the beginning of a new day. Uh, Israel was liberated from Egypt. Remember, in Egypt, that Israel were they were slaves. I mean, they were taskmasters. They were under a very heavy, oppressive regime. It wasn't freedom. And God gave the law and wrote a catalog of curses into codes and and he says hey You know I want here's some things if you want to maintain your freedom. Here's some things to help you maintain freedom He gave some dietary laws don't eat pork don't eat these things and we understand uh, with refrigeration now That it's not as much of a problem, but if pork and other certain animals are not refrigerated or dealt with appropriately you can get very sick or you could die understand that, right? There's, so God gave some of these laws. And so God gave a whole bunch of laws to Israel, some of them for hygiene to protect them. Other, you know, It's good uh, you know, for sanitation, for sewer system. Hey, get that stuff outside of the city. You don't want sewer in the middle of the city. That's a bad place to be. So he gave those kinds of laws. There's all sorts of things that he did for the protection of his people. And Israel was under the law. However, they lost sight of of God and began to just follow the law and they degenerated and and they got to this place where they stopped looking to God and Abraham believed God by faith it was accounted to him for righteousness Genesis chapter 15 tells us that but Israel during the law period when they had the Mosaic law And that's how to stay in the how to stay in the blessings of god really as we had talked about here a couple weeks ago that the laws that god gave in the desert were not for salvation they were much like god gives to us as believers hey how do i have a continual vibrant relationship with god how do i keep that relationship unfettered unbroken by my own will my own wickedness right god Because God, many times over, He said, hey, I don't have a delight in all these sacrifices as I do in obedience. Because it's the relationship. If you breach trust with someone that is trusting you. If I was to breach the trust of my wife, that hinders that relationship. It breaks that relationship, and so the law, but what had happened as Israel had degenerated and they'd gone into idolatry, they began to see the law as a checklist of what to do to somehow merit favor with God. And that became their religion, which God never intended. You had Solomon. Who, you had David as a, a wonderful king. He brought a bright era of hope. You have Solomon, though, as Solomon made a lot of compromises. The kingdom was divided. The northern tribes plunged deeper and deeper into idolatry and immorality. And they would end up being uprooted. The northern kingdom of Israel would end up uh, being taken into captivity. And then Judah, seeing the, first, the, the northern ten tribes being taken to captivity, you would have thought they would have... Repented. No, they continued to persist They hardened their heart. The, the prophets and the priests and the preachers said, hey, peace is upon us. Everything's going to be okay. Yes, our brothers to the north of us are going into captivity, but God's going to protect us because we have the temple and we have Jerusalem. God doesn't care if you have a Bible in your house. If you're going to live wickedly, it doesn't matter if you have a Bible in your house. The Bible's not going to do anything if you're not willing to live by it in obedience. So the fact is they plunge into captivity. Judah goes into captivity, 70 years later, the Jews are given another chance. They go 70 years, they're in the Babylonians. But again, as they come back to the land, what happens? Formalism. Go through this day, go, the formalism is, it's so easy in churches to say, well, you must be like this, right? There's some checklist. You got to check, 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 check. Right? The Bible gives us instructions. And so there are things that we ought to follow, principles and practices on which we do. But, you know, there was a time that someone, I remember that back in the day, if you wear wire-rimmed glasses, you're not a good Christian. That's silliness, okay? But th- that was something that was legitimate. And, uh, but there was all this formalism of all these things, and you must follow all these, or you can't become a Christian. Well, then faith has been kicked out replaced with mechanical religion that's very binding that's a heavy slavery to put people under and the same thing we find today by the time of Christ the Jewish religion had become bankrupt and there's the the Sadducees the Pharisees the Herodians representatives of this law And uh, so, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. So Christ entered into the time of the law. The Judaism was a dead religion, just as it is today. Lots of ceremonies, lots of formulaic actions. And the Gentiles were weary to death of this bankrupt religion. Some might turn toward Judaism hoping to find a peace within. But the Gentile world, equally as the, Juda- the Judaizers and the Jewish people were bankrupt in their religion, the Gentile religion with all their idols and all of their uh, various practices, they were empty. They were uh, just vain. There's nothing there. I mean, this is the golden age of Greece. It flourished Art, science, and government flourished. Alexander the Great would, at one time, conquer the world, the known world. Greek philosophy, culture, and religion would challenge all the realms of thought, and Hellenism would rise and flourish. But it still brought an empty promise. The Greek religion writes, Uh, Phillips was able to offer men only a pantheon of ridiculous, warring, lusting gods made in the image and likeness of warring, lusting men. You think about Greek mythology. Many times, very angry beings. The Romans, they would have their day. Hard, iron-fisted. Building magnificent roads, infrastructure, water, sewage. I mean... The the Romans built unbelievable amounts and some things that even exist today. I mean, it's amazing that the Colosseum exists today. You know, the Roman idea of a holiday was to sit in an amphitheater and watch a whole bunch of people, you know, these people fight to the death as they would fight vicious animals, bare hands against wild beasts. The world, when Jesus came, was morally and spiritually bankrupt. And it was ready for the Son of God to come. These Jewish legalists, who are young believers in Christ, are trying to be brought by these Judaizers back into an empty, heavy, enslaving religion. The law can't redeem. All the law does is tell you if you're guilty or innocent. That's all the law does. Now God promise of the seed of the woman in Genesis 3.15. Let's look here real quick. The first promise. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. I would say that the time that Christ came would be very similar to what we have today. There's a lot of religion out there. Do this, do this, do this, follow this, say these many prayers. You know, all of these things that you are to do to somehow, hopefully, merit the attention of some divine deity or deities, plural, as others would attest. But in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. This is a promise that the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ, would bruise the head of the serpent, Satan. Yes, Christ had his heel. Yes, Christ uh, died, but he rose again. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, would you turn with me here? That Christ came to fulfill all the law. Some say he did away with the law. No, he fulfilled the law. The law, what does it mean that Christ fulfilled the law? If I do something wrong and I stand before a judge and the judge says the, the law says if you do this crime here's the options that I can have as a punishment. He says I have to I have to give you a verdict on based upon what you've done the evidence is overwhelming yes you've committed this act so now i need to judge you according to the act and here's what the law says and here's what how i can charge you someone stands up and says and the judge gives his verdict he says guilty and here's the the judgment and someone stands up and says judge i will do all the time that you have said for chris to do that's fulfilling the law. The law says, you do wrong, you have to pay for that wrong. Well, that's what the fulfillment of the law is. Christ fulfilled the law in paying all the criminal penalties that I did and you did. He fulfilled it all. In Matthew 5, 17, uh, Think not that I am come to destroy the law of the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to Fulfill. So he's not putting us into bondage. He's saying, listen, you sin, sin has to be paid. You break the law, the law says you have to be judged. Now it's the mercy of a judge and the grace of a judge to give you, maybe wipe your slate clean or not give you what you deserve. But nevertheless, you still have Uh, That judgment, that sin has to be dealt with. There has to be a judgment on it. So he fulfilled the entire law. Everything that I've done wrong, and you've done wrong, and humanity's done wrong, he said, I'm willing to pay for all those sins that have to be accounted for. I hope this makes sense. So he fulfilled the moral law in his life. Jesus was perfect. So in a courtroom, if somebody else is sitting in the stands in the back, or whatever they call that, the gallery or whatever, and they're sitting there, they're not under charges. They're sitting there, they're watching the proceedings. So that person that's sitting there is not under the penalty of judgment that you are as you sit there potentially with your attorney. But Jesus, not only moral in his life, and the ceremonial law in his death, that there had to be a shedding of blood, but he did something that the law could not do. The law cannot redeem me. That word redeem is the the imagery of of a person buying a slave out of a slave market and giving them their freedom. I was a slave to Satan. But then coming back here to Galatians... Galatians chapter 4, verse 5. To redeem them that were under the law, that is our slavery, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now, this is very telling. Something that a millennia and a half of the law could not do for a lost son of Adam's ruined race. Couldn't redeem them. The regenerating work of the Holy Spirit of God at the moment of salvation makes me a child of God. Because then in my slavery, and I'm there on the slave market, the redemption is I receive the gift To pay for all the bad I've done, that payment as sin has to be dealt with. That sin is paid for because I received the gift of Christ and I appropriate it to pay. For instance, let's say I'm in court, the judge says you owe a million dollars. Someone says, judge, I'm going to pay the million dollars for Chris. That crime has now thereby been satisfied, it's done away with, and I am now a free citizen. And the the Lord Jesus Christ, by his death, said, you're a free citizen, not only are you a free citizen, I'm going to adopt you into my family forever as a child of mine. And in Luke chapter 3, verse 38, let's look here. Isn't this amazing? You think about, Many religions, you're trying to do enough, hoping, possibly, maybe you'll have a better afterlife. Maybe you'll be reincarnated. Uh, Maybe you'll go to purgatory. Maybe you'll do this or this or anything else. Because you're going through works, you're still on that slave market, still trying to work it off. You see, hell is working off those sins for eternity. You'll never pay them off. In Luke chapter 3, verse 38, which was going on here, talking, uh, which was the son of Enos, which was the son of Seth, which was the son of Adam, which was the son of God. And the fact is a unique relationship. When God created Adam, there was a unique relationship of fellowship, closeness, harmony, peace, intimacy. That's two hearts that are in unity. Now when God created the animals, He gave them a governing principle on how they should live. God did not make man to be governed by instinct. God breathed into man the breath of life. A living soul. Now I'm sorry to say, I I know we love our pets. When our pet dies, it goes to the ground. It doesn't go on for eternity, and I know, and I'm not trying to break anyone's heart tonight, but the truth is, an animal, when it dies, I know we can love our little Fifi or Fufu or whatever we want to call that little pet, but that pet will go into the ground, the, the worms will eat it, and it will cease to be. But it is not the case because God breathed into man the breath of life that he did not do for the animals. And man became a living soul, it says. Man lives forever. And the Holy Spirit of God indwells us the moment I become God's child. I have the control of my senses and of the body. When sin entered, the Holy Spirit, when here is Adam and God in perfect harmony, their spirit, soul, and uh, body, they were just, you know, Adam was there, but he was there, spirit and soul, or just, I mean, God, they were in harmony, they were in unison, they agreed. And here when man sins, he ex- he, that spirit of God, that unity is broken, and the man's spirit is now dead with God. And as we... <clears throat> In verse 6, and because you are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The law could not remove the errors or or sins that I've done. It's powerless. The law is merely a censor on your car to tell you if you have a problem. That's all the law does. It just says, hey, you've broken the law. But in this new relationship, as a child of God redeemed, something remarkable happens. The Holy Spirit of God teaches you and I to cry, Abba, Father. It's a word that's only found here Mark chapter 14, verse 36, and Romans chapter 8, verse 15. In Mark chapter 14, verse 36, So to tell you in this very truth, I know there's sometimes people will tell you, well, that's not, someone might say, that's not how I see Scripture. I interpret it this way or I interpret it this way. If, if you want to go by interpretations and Jesus says, I have bought you and you go any other way, then you're still on the slave market. You can see it and interpret it however you want, but if it's not the Bible way, we're still on that slave market. I think it's pretty important that we get it right. In Mark chapter 14, verse 36, And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. Here is Jesus Christ in the garden of Gethsemane in a very, very intimate time. God, give me the strength to get past the garden and make it to the cross to fulfill what I've been called to do. The very, uh, I mean, Satan would have loved to have killed Jesus there in the garden of Gethsemane and not have him die on that cross because there was fulfilled prophecy so he's saying god get me past this tempt this 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 moment and let me do what i've been called to do i mean uh, some people would say in that very moment that jesus was asking not to suffer but that can't be the case because in john chapters uh, john chapter 14 15 16 and 17 before he comes to the garden he says listen i'm going to die i'm going to prepare a mansion for you i mean it just doesn't make sense for him going from the upper room then as he's walking to the garden telling him he's going to die, he's going to build a mansion, and then get into the garden and say, I don't want to die anymore. That just doesn't make sense. So when he's here, he's saying, God, get me past this moment, give me the strength to go through all the torment I'm going to be, and get me to that cross so I can fulfill the mission that I've been called to do. To redeem you. The law makes us slaves. Slaves. But the Spirit of God, when you ask Jesus Christ as your Savior, you now have, you can say, Abba, Father. These are the very words that rise from the lips of a small child like my daughter when I get home. Daddy, she says. Isn't that right? Daddy, she'll jump on me, give me a big old, like, you know, like headlock, and uh, tries doing different things. But uh, the fact is, Abba, father it's a very intimate word like daddy of a one who provides protects and supports us it is the word of an adult son in the family really was the lord's favorite word for god it would these lips it would come from the lips of our father of of our savior excuse me He taught us as members of the family of God in the miracle of the new birth as a son of God that we can cry, Abba, Father. He's my Father. You know, Jesus would tell his disciples to say, our Father. But Jesus would say, my Father. Sent forth into your hearts. Listen. Because the Spirit of God, through the Spirit... So in Adam, here's Adam, and here's God. and I'll make this. So here's Adam, and here's God. Before the fall, their spirits are united. After the fall, the spirit of man is dead to God. It has no, no contact with God. The law just says guilty. You're on the slave market. You can't get to that. Jesus Christ comes in. So that God sees me through his sacrifice, through the sacrifice of the Son. So now my spirit, the spirit of God lives within me. So I'm united with the Father. And I can say Father, I can say Daddy. And as as God looks at me as an innocent child of his, whose crimes have been all paid for, through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the cry of one, Abba, of the closest intimacy with a dad. It is the cry of Jesus as he's horror-struck of what he sees in that cup, said, hey, Lord, please, Father, give me the strength to get to that cross. Get past this moment of the betrayal that's coming. In all of full manhood, and maturity, an eternal relationship, it worked out on human terms, a lifetime of unbroken love, trust, communion, and obedience, he would say, Father. He would also fully understand, he would fully surrender his will to go to that cross so that you and I could have that perfect, unbroken relationship. we can use those words, Abba, Father. And see, this is the magnificent, in verse 7 of Galatians chapter 4, wherefore thou art no more a servant, you're not under the law anymore, you're a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go back to a dead system of do's and don'ts. Yes, there are things that we as Christians should do to please our Father. There's things I shouldn't do to please my Father. But I already have that relationship. I can't lose that relationship. You know, in John chapter 8, verse 29, let's look here. John chapter 8, verse 29. And he that sent me is with me, The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please Him. You see what Jesus did? He says, listen, I always do what pleases my Father. Pleases Him. You see, when you love someone, you're going to want to please them. As a young child with my grandfather, I've given this illustration many a time, with my grandfather and my grandmother on my dad's side, if they asked me to do something, I, it would break my heart. It would break my heart to displease them. I am now not doing it because I'm afraid of punishment. I'm doing it because I don't want to break their heart. Abba Father is really the greatest of all arguments against legalism. It is not law, it is love. Love is the fulfilling of the law, but also love is I want to please him. As Jesus would say, I do always those things that please him. If you're seeking to please someone, you're doing it with all your heart. Right? Is that not what God called us to do? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, strength, and mind? I'm wanting to please him. The law, I'm not doing it out of my heart. I'm doing it because that's what I'm supposed to do. Dead religion. It doesn't satisfy. There is no relationship. Dead religion. See, it's in Christ that I want to... Why does God call us, be holy for I am holy? Because I want to please Him. Why does He call me to not commit and do certain things as a Christian? Because I want to please Him. I want to keep that relationship. Yes, what it might happen if i if i as a christian live a life that's in opposition of god and against what god wants me to do i don't lose being a child of his but i lose being pleasing to him so when I give into the flesh, and I give into the lusts, and I give into these things I know I shouldn't be doing, I, that Spirit of God, yes, I am, yes, the Spirit of God lives within me, but it says His Spirit is grieved, just as if my daughter does something. I am disappointed, but she's still my daughter. And you see, Christian, the thing is in our lives, we ought not to have any desire to displease God. As I get to know God, not as a heavy-handed, authoritarian, dictatorial, tyrant, totalitarian uh, from heaven, uh, that is not the way the Bible depicts God at all. That is a false view of God, if that's ever seen. That's horrible. I mean, to be under such a system is miserable. I didn't used to, when I was younger growing up, I was in a particular church and it taught a lot of these do's and don'ts and all this stuff. And I was saved, but man, I'm like, this whole Christian life thing is miserable. I didn't know what it was like to have peace with God and the power of God and, you know, just that abiding presence of God with you. I didn't know what that was like. I thought, man, that's only for certain special people, but that can't be for me. Yes, it can. And it can be for you. You can have the joy of the Lord, the peace of God. You can have God's abiding presence. And and when you're in the Word of God, man, you can just have that, that close intimacy like, man, I just met with the Father. I just met with Daddy. I just had some good time today. We are God's sons. Thou art no more a servant but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Hey, You're past age 25. The inheritance is fully yours. Christian, if people want to say, if you want to get saved and become a Christian, you must accept Jesus by faith and do something else. Or you must accept Jesus by faith and not do this. Right? You must accept Jesus by faith and be good for the rest of your life, otherwise you can lose it then I'm paying for it. That's not a gift. I'm still under the law. See, as Christ, I'm secure. I'm a son. My daughter is always my daughter. She can emancipate or whatever else she wants to do, but she will always be my daughter. And when we are adopted into God's family, we are always his child. You can't lose it it's not whether you get bad. Yes, God will discipline you. God disciplines his children. He tells us in Hebrews, if you're without discipline, then he says, are you as bastards? He's like, "If you're not my child. That's a very strong word, but that's what Hebrews says. So the truth is that we are always God's child. And we didn't do anything for it except accept it by faith. Accept my guiltiness before the judge. Yes, Judge, I'm guilty. And I appropriated the gift, the payment of Christ, to my very heavy account. And in simple faith, I asked Jesus to forgive me and be my savior. I did that April 30th, 1986. As a young boy, I knelt on my knees with my dad and I asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins and be my savior. Change forever. You too can be changed if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior. Stop trying to be good enough. Stop trying to go through all these works and try to be, reform your life. It you, doesn't matter. Christ will change your life. He'll transform your life. You don't need to reform your life or conform your life. You just need to be transformed by accepting the gift by faith. And my friend tonight, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I trust that you do that tonight. Just ask Jesus to forgive you and be your Savior. And Christian, we ought to rejoice that we are accounted worthy, that we are accounted privileged to be a child of God, as are all who will simply call to Christ. God is not willing that any should perish. Friend, what a wonderful thing. The inheritance of God is fully available to us as his children. And may we live our lives seeking to please Him. As we come to a time of invitation this evening with heads bowed and eyes closed, just a quiet time, no musical play this evening, I Just maybe as a Christian, you just thank the Lord for what you have in Christ. Maybe if there's something God's speaking to you you need to do in your life or shouldn't be doing, you maybe ask God to forgive you and help you to be pleasing in God's sight. Not that you can lose your salvation, but you can lose being pleasing in His sight. Or maybe you're here tonight and you'd say, Pastor, I don't know if I died where I'm going to spend eternity. I think I'm good enough. I think, well, none of us are good enough. I would trust tonight if those very sentiments of your heart, you'd say, Pastor, I know I need to be saved. If that is the case, I'd love to meet with you after the service tonight, sit down with you from a Bible and show you. Would you come up to myself or come up to my wife and just ask us, hey, I'd like to sit down with you and talk about the Bible, talk about Jesus. We'd happily do that. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, when you're done praying, look up. We'll conclude in prayer, and then we'll have our time of prayer later after that.